Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Shivani, and today on Raise the Line, I'm honored to welcome Mark Cuban, who probably needs no introduction, but I'll do a brief one anyways to try to capture the amazing diversity of his interest and activity. He's established himself as one of the best known and most successful entrepreneurs in the US, originally making his mark creating and selling two startups in computer networking and early applications on the internet. That success allowed him to venture into professional sports as the owner of the Dallas Mavericks and involvement in television and film production among many other endeavors. If you missed his turn on Dancing with the Stars, you almost surely have seen him as a longtime panelist on Shark Tank. He's now tackling the high cost of prescriptions with his new online pharmacy, the Mark Cuban Cross Plus Drug Company, which is the main reason we wanted to bring him on the show, given that our audience is mostly made up of health professional students and early career clinicians. So Mark, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thanks for having me on. So I'm going to kick off with a recent tweet you retweeted and received from DCN Ohio, who said, at Cost Plus Drugs, previously I was unable to get Biclofenac sodium 3% for osteoarthritis because my insurance plan would not cover it. Without a coupon, it was almost $1,000, and even with a coupon, it was nearly $300. $51 with Cost Plus. I'm grateful. So there are a bunch of other examples, and on your website, you list uh, Gleevec, which is normally $2,500 for a month's supply. On your website, Imatinib is $17.10. So having gone to med school at Johns Hopkins, we don't learn a lot about health policy. Can you give us a rundown of how this is even possible? Yeah, I mean, look, the only reason this is possible because of the distortions in pricing that are created by the industry. As most people in the industry know, it's been very consolidated. And that consolidation has gotten to the point where a single company will include a major insurance company, sometimes worldwide retail pharmacy chain, and also uh, providers, the hospitals and, and clinics, and then also pharmacy benefit managers. And pharmacy benefit managers, because they do the buying of drugs for the hospital chains and provider chains and the you know the retail chains, they're pretty much able to dictate the pricing to manufacturers and distributors. And in doing so, they're, they've created a lot of distortions in pricing. So while you may see one price at Walgreens for something, and it may be you know $2,500 at one Walgreens, $87 with a card at another Walgreens, and $243 with a different card two blocks away at a different Walgreens or CVS, the distortions have just become mind-numbing. And so what we said with Cost Plus Drugs was that we're going to keep this very simple. We're not going to participate with the, P the other PBMs. We'll create our own. We're not going to work with insurance companies at all because that's part of the distortion. We're going to buy from manufacturers and distributors. We're going to market up 15% and sell it online at costplusdrugs.com. And then we'll add a $3 pharmacy fill fee and a $5 shipping fee. That's it. Period. End of story. You know, we have one single mission, that is to be the low-cost drug provider. You're not going to see any types of bells and whistles. There's not going to be a telehealth op option. There's not going to be a world-famous um, doctor writing a blog post or answering questions. None of those things. Just a singular mission. And by not participating with the big players, in particular the top three, we're able to avoid that distortion and sell for what typically ends up being for 99% of our, our patients, um, lower than the copay that they have with their insurance company. So you, you only launched recently, earlier this year. Right. How have things been going? 
So um, it's four years in the making for us to launch two months ago on January 19th because we had to build all the relationships, develop the trust. And this is the only company I've put my name on. And one of the reasons was so that manufacturers and distributors would trust that, you know, it's fully supported by me. In terms of how it's going, I can't give you specific specifics, but I can tell you that we're two months in. And based off our plans and our budgets and our forecasts, we're two years in. <laughs> so the response has been amazing. And, you know, we don't spend any money on PR. We don't spend any money on marketing. You know, we're able to use my platform. But our perspective was that each disease has its own community. If you have diabetes, if you have um, leukemia, if you have some specific form of cancer, if you're taking drugs for mental illness, all of us, in, no matter which disease we suffer from, we are part of a group and all the groups communicate with each other online. And so the attitude was if you were able to get, you know, generic Synthroid for $6 instead of $26, you're going to tell everybody else that you know in the same circumstances. And that's exactly what's happened. And so by word of mouth, we've grown considerably. You saw, you know, some of the posts that were online on Twitter and other places. That's another way that we communicate. And we just continue to grow and take orders every single day. And right now, I think we're at 115 drugs. We'll add another 60 on Monday. And our goal is to have more than 1,000 and hopefully as many as 2,000 by the end of the year. That's amazing. Yeah, I saw that tweet about 1,000 by the end of the year, at least 1,000. You know, you're hiring aggressively for Cost Plus 2. Some of the people in our audience may be interested in positions. Like what types of people are you looking for to join the company? I'm the wrong person to ask for that. Our CEO, Alish Osmiansky, he's the guy who runs the day-to-day -day side of it. I deal more in the marketing and the strategic and with Alex and Ryan Klein on the decision-making. So, you know, if you just go to um, costplusdrugs.com, everything's there. I actually tweeted some of the positions that were open. So if you go to my Twitter feed, mcuban, M-C-U-B-A-N, you can see some of the positions that are open. And same in our LinkedIn feed um, under costplusdrugs.com, you'll see the positions that are available as well. Awesome. And I actually recently connected with Alex on LinkedIn as well. And there's a whole story yeah. about how you and him connected. I know yeah. maybe five, seven years ago, you were tweeting about Martin Shkreli and how yeah. you know, he was raising prices at the farmer bro by 750%. Could you do it the other way? And then Alex sent you a cold email. Can you talk to us a bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I get cold pitches all the time. And with 99.99% of them, I hit the delete key within 30 seconds. But when Alex started talking about, you know, ways to reduce costs for drugs and what he was doing with the compound pharmacy, I was all in and hearing more. So I started peppering him with questions. And he's an incredibly smart guy. I mean, a radiologist, a mathematician, you name it. He's the definition of rocket scientist. And um, he was just able to respond to everything I threw at him and then some. And so I was like, OK, why don't we work together on this? And that started our partnership probably four years ago. And, you know, from there, he basically took on all the challenges of regulation and licensing and everything that needs to be done, you know, federally within each state, all that stuff. And he's just been a superstar in putting it all together, developing relationships with the manufacturers and distributors that we need to get the drugs organizing the build of our manufacturing plant that we're building in Dallas now because we want to get the, our costs even lower. And so he's just been an incredible superstar. And then along with Ryan Klein and everybody that works at Cost Plus has been incredible. That's amazing. And yeah, so fully vertically integrated. I actually didn't know about this Dallas manufacturing plant. You know, cutting out the middleman makes a lot of sense, all the insurance and, and all the other things I know annoy the heck out of healthcare. And that's why you don't accept yeah. insurance for this. But Pharma companies, when they first release drugs, they tend to mark them up and they get that patent protection. And their argument is they need to mark up high margin to fund the R&D efforts. So you, are you still supportive of that? 
Yeah, look, it's all relative, right? So every every company is a little bit different. You know, you saw what happened with Sackler. I mean, that's just, you know, they deserve to go to jail, right? They deserve to be shut down. And so there's not one standard course. But I will say this, in some respects, like you look at some of the insulin companies and Eli Lilly puts out a release saying that they're pricing to their manufactured sales price that they offer to PBMs has gone down over the last few years, but the price to patients has gone up considerably, it's skyrocketed. And in many cases, the manufacturers are positioned to be the bad guy out of all this when they're not. And so there are instances where the manufacturing cost has gone down, the net cost to the PBMs has gone down, but the prices to the patients have gone up. So you've got to kind of pick who the villain is in, in those circumstances. And then there's other cases where the actual research and development was done by the NIH or other federal funding and the government did an awful job of licensing to um, pharma companies. And so we don't do a very good job there. And then there's a whole separate discussion on marching rights and whether or not there's an opportunity there to claw back some of those things and, and redo some of those contracts. So it really depends. And I'm not an expert in each and every drug by a long shot, but it really depends on the individual circumstances. There are some manufacturers that are trying to do the right thing. And there's others like the Sacklers who are not. Yeah, I love that That there's nuance. People paint it with two broad strokes, I think, and there's nuance there, which clearly you guys really appreciate. Yep. So you've been asked a number of times to to run for president or higher office. Uh, obviously, there's no. always question about that. But but I've been following all your healthcare tweets for a long time. And back in 2017, I remember you, you challenged politicians. You said, dear politicians, let me ask a question. If every person in our country had health insurance, would we be any healthier? And then that created a whole bunch of dialogue about different policies that would make people actually healthier. So you've tackled with cost plus the drug pricing issue. What are some of the other kind of policy changes that if you'd snap your fingers, you'd want to change right now in, in the U.S. healthcare system? I mean, I think a lot of it starts within the provider base, particularly with hospitals, just being open and transparent about costs. The hospitals are supposed to, they don't all um, put their actual pricing by contract on their website. And when you go in there and look at the pricing, it's stunning to see what you see, right? Pick an injury or whatever it may be, right? Or, or a process, a CT scan. And you'll see one price for one insurance company, another price for another insurance company, a different price for cash pay. It's just mind boggling the way it works. And I've gone to healthcare conferences and I've asked hospital CEOs, what's your cost on A, B, or C? Because you tell people that you know, at Medicare pricing, you lose eight or nine percent. That's pre-COVID. And I don't believe it. And so I tried to fund a study that went to hospitals and asked their CFOs or CEOs what type of accounting process they use for cost accounting. No one would participate. I've tried to fund all these different studies just to, to satisfy my own curiosity. So another study that I'm in the process of working with, and it's kind of all, all over the map. I worked on a premise. I said, look, in Canada, each province determines their health care budget. But for the city of Toronto in, in the province of Ontario, Toronto has the same real estate costs as New York. Toronto pays doctors, the primary doctors, the same as they get paid in New York. Toronto actually pays their nurses a little bit more pre-COVID than nurses got paid in New York. Band-Aids are about the same carts are about the same, wheelchairs are about the same, real estate's the same. Why is it that hospitals in Toronto can offer the top 35 services um, at Medicare prices are much lower in a lot of respects, and hospitals in New York all claim to lose money at Medicare pricing? 
And now there are some nuances that are completely different between Toronto and what we do here. The uh, province and the country pay malpractice costs. Okay, so that's one place where there's going to be a difference. They pay all all bills, right? So whereas you know there's certain clawbacks and kickbacks to hospitals in the United States for charitable care is what they call it, even though they jack up from the charge master what that amount is to make it look like they do more charitable care than they actually do. Um, all bills in Canada are paid by the government one way or the other. So that's another area. But even when you normalize those, the pricing for the, the top 35 offerings from both hospitals, the, the schasm in pricing is enormous and that shouldn't exist. So you, I wanted to try to find out why. And we're still doing the study, but I think part of the problem is there's a never ending search for growth by US hospitals as opposed to service. And the interests that are aligned are not that of the payer provider or patient, the three Ps, they're not aligned in the United States where they are in Canada. In the United States, you know, if you look at the ACA with the 15% medical loss ratio, right? Well, the higher the rates that you have and the higher your revenues, the more that 15% net return after the MLR to the insurance company and the provider. And that is not aligned with the interests of the patient. There's nothing that says, okay, you know, the cheaper you charge the patient, the more we'll reward you for doing so. And so you get these misalignments of interest that create enormous problems for the healthcare industry. And even whether it's charitable or non-charitable, there are some hospitals like Maryland's doing some things and um, was it North Dakota, I think it was, where the companies that are just basically live off of Medicare and Medicaid as their only customers, patient source, there are hospitals there that make money. But there's that old joke that if you walk into the office of a CEO of a hospital, all you see are blueprints, you know, the CEO keeps on getting paid the more revenue they generate, the more money they raise. And if you're going to be raising money, you got to spend it somewhere. And if you're going to spend it somewhere, buildings take up a lot of that money and adding new services. So you might have a new cardiac unit, you might have a new orthopedic unit, but in a big city like Dallas or New York or LA, there might be five competitors. That is not in the best interest of every patient because they're lost leaders when you start adding them. They build up the, the brand potentially of the hospital. Oh, we're known for this. We are the ultimate surgery center for that. They're lost leaders, at least for some period of time till they build that business. And it's a zero sum games in many respects where there's three hospitals competing to do your hip replacement and there's not, they're not growing the number of hip replacements that are being done. And so there, there's all this incongruity in terms of value to the patient that provides value and, and earnings and wealth to the the provider business and the payer business, but at the expense of patients. Absolutely. I mean, you've nailed it. And we, we had a, a previous hospital CEO who you probably know, Vivian Lee. She wrote the book, The Long Fix. She ran University of Utah's health system and now runs Verily for Google, uh, the life science division. Yeah. So we had her on the podcast a year ago talking about value-based medicine. And one of the silver linings of COVID seems to be this acceleration of these trends, a lot more value-based medicine, a lot of success stories there like ChenMed, Nightmare Health, yeah. which we've had on. Um, you know, in the education sector, aligning incentives through income share agreements. I mean, the median debt of a med student graduate is $200,000 now. Crazy. I mean, look, it's cheaper just to make med school free. Yeah. You know, and, and why don't we open up more residencies? Actually, I worked with Senator Schumer because he want, he introduced a bill, one, two, three, four, eight, something like that, 
that would have increased the number of residencies because just creating residencies at hospitals is a challenge. You know, and people don't realize there's only, I think, 800,000 practicing physicians in the United States, and that number is declining quickly. And you could easily exchange, okay, free med school for filling a need at, in the healthcare desert. And there's been some programs like that, but, but just not enough. And I'll go back to one other thing I, I should have commented on and left out. You know, one of the biggest expenses in healthcare with providers in particular is administration, right? We've all seen this study where it's 21% of healthcare costs in this country. One simple move would simplify that. In the MBA, we have a standard um, player contract. There's a couple little things I can change here or there, the amount, the term, right? Maybe this incentive or that incentive. We need standardized insurance contracts so that hospitals don't have to redo contracts each and every year, and they don't need 300 people just to deal with the complexities of the fact that each contract is renewed each year, because that plays to the benefit of the insurer and to a certain extent, the benefit of the provider, because the more complexity there is, the harder it is for anybody to understand, the harder it is to question anything. So you create standards for insurance contracts, maybe make them a minimum of two years and have a government approved standard contract, your administration costs are going to drop like a rock. We need an NBA commissioner for hospitals, basically. Right, exactly. <laughs> What's fun, funny side story is the person who introduced us, Jamie Patrikoff, is the son of our yeah. uh, board member and advisor, Alan Patrikoff. Who's great. Yeah, I know Alan, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And we're having breakfast in two days here in New York again. And he and David Stern, who obviously you know well, uh, unfortunately passed away, the former NBA commissioner, were the two people in the room who voted for Graycroft to invest in my company, Osmosis, back in the day. So uh, definitely the parallel between the NBA that you just mentioned she? there and the health system is really interesting. I love David Stern. And he always was trying to find ways to make things better. So I give him a lot of credit. He, he had a lot of people's interest at heart. Well, like, like you, I mean, he was in a different field, but learned so much about these companies through investing as, as you do. One overarching question I have is you just go deep and know so much about these different industries, blockchain, healthcare. Like, how do you learn so quickly? Are you just reading books all the time, just talking to people? Or Pretty just... much. I don't have a regular job that I got to show up for nine to five. So it's a little bit easier for me than most people. And that's what I like to do. I love to learn. And Steve Jobs once said, everything's a remix. And it's interesting how, you know, once you have a basic understanding of how accounting and finance and marketing works and strategy, and then you add to that technology and then, you know, to expand to blockchain isn't a big stretch. And really, healthcare is really, really simple. The hard part is just all the distortions that are created by the, the incumbents and the participants that they use to their advantage. And having looked at process in so many different businesses, you know, whether it's an investment or a company I ran or started or whatever, it, it's pretty straightforward for me to go, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. Let me dig in. Like I do on Shark Tank, right? It's just like, let me just dig in and get to the heart of what this company's all about. And the hospitals are a very simple business. You know, being a provider is a very simple business. Being an insurer is a very simple business. Manufacturing and selling drugs is a very simple business. You want to make people healthier and make a little bit of money doing it. Simple. You want to insure people from risk from those catastrophic moments so that they don't go into, you know, obscene debt or bankruptcy. Simple business. It's very math driven. But what happens is when incumbents try, they're, they're a public company or they get bought by PE and, you know, everything's about maximizing the return. It's easy to pick up on that as well, because the, the traits of companies that just try to squeeze out every dollar are the exact same in every industry. 
And so I like to just learn and, you know, the more technology I can learn or the more industry specific things I can learn, that just gives me the little nuanced things to be able to dig right in and find the issues I need to address or that create opportunity for me. I love that. The pattern recognition across different fields. Um, on your site, the Mark Cuban Company's website, you have several key categories. Healthcare is right under Shark Tank, which shows how important healthcare is to you. What's your personal like interest in the story? I mean, it's obviously a huge industry, huge problem. You know, why is healthcare so high up there when you could pick education, finance, other other industries? Oh, because it's the most impactful. It, you know, that's where the greatest amount of inequities occur. The fact that people are having to choose between rent, food, or medication in this country, it's just insane. It's just wrong in every which way. I mean, to me, to be able to have that impact, I've done a lot of things. I've had a lot of successes. I've, I've reached goals. And I'm in a, a part of my life where I'm like, okay, where can I have an impact that, that disrupts an industry? Because that, that's the most fun thing business-wise that I can do. Whether it was, you know, messing with David Stern and getting fined all the time by trying to disrupt the MBA, telling him that MBA stands for nothing but attorneys, you know, <laughs> and then just having fun there, um, starting the streaming industry, starting the first all high definition TV network, just all these things. Those are the things that are fun for me. And costplusdrugs.com was one way to do that. And if we're able to be successful there, I'll look to find other ways in healthcare to do the same thing. I love that. And I was just reviewing your portfolio of companies on your of healthcare companies like Sonara, which obviously you kept mentioning the Sacklers and the opioid problem. They're doing telehealth right. or opioid treatment programs. What are some of the healthcare companies, whether it's on Shark Tank or or on your site that you're currently invested with that are Oh God, I gotta go look to, because there's so many. I mean, there's like Ready Set Go, which is for allergies for newborns. So they've got I don't want to call it a formula, but they've got um response that allows new parents to feed a newborn to train them so that they don't get peanut allergies. And kids today, for whatever reason, seem to have more allergies than than prior generations. And so it, that's been a big issue. Um, mommy, M-A-H-M-E-E, that helps with newborn care and infant care for disadvantaged moms, no matter where they may be. There's another one, Eon, that helps with identification and parameter care for lung cancer, I think it is. Another one, Janestesis, that, and I didn't know this until they came along, every organ in our body emits an electrical pulse. And there are scanners that can capture that electrical pulse, including for the heart. And what they do is they scan your heart in an MRI-like device, take the output of that, create a wave file, a sound file, and then run it through machine learning now with tens of thousands of examples in the model, you know, mostly men, but a lot of people have gone through that point where they feel something in their chest and they don't know what it is. And it's really hard to identify. You recognize it's not a heart attack. You don't know if it's a stroke, but you're having chest pains for the first or for how many times. And using uh, machine learning and the output of the scanners, they're able to better categorize so that when you go to an emergency room, sit in the scanner and they're just now getting all the approvals and, and rolling out, they're going to be able to give you some level of accuracy um, what's going on. And, you know, those are the types of things where it's a little bit of a breakthrough or it's taking some scenario where there's an inequity like mommy or ready, set, go, where, you know, we can help kids and ready, set, go was a shark tank deal. And part of my deal with them was that they had to distribute the product for free to underserved and underprivileged parents who with newborns. I love that. Yeah, that, that's wonderful. And 
I would say that on that on the cardiac one, uh, there's a quote I love, which is the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. And so the fact that you're focusing on distribution and getting into zip codes that don't typically get this kind of help. Exactly. Exactly. Because it, it's just a straight business idea, right? It's not like, okay, I've got this great heart. It's just smart business because where there's inequities, where there's less information, where there's not less knowledge, where there's less you know support, that's where your greatest costs are because things go too far or people are uninformed that they don't know how to deal with their own health. And so it, it saves taxpayers money, it saves lives, it creates a better foundation for their children who are our children, which in turn helps this country. It just makes good business to do the right thing. Well, I know we're coming up in time, so my last question for you, what our audience sure. would really care about is, you know, they're early stage professionals, uh, they wanna make an impact in healthcare and society. What advice would you give them right now? You don't need to be perfect. You know, you just paid a whole lot of money and borrowed a whole lot of money to learn, right? Now you're about to get paid to learn. And so, you know, go someplace where you can experience as many different things as possible. Because as much as, you know, doctors that I've talked to tend to make a choice, well, I want it simple, or I want to be in the mix, or I want to make the most money, or I want to give back. Everybody has these choices that they feel are ingrained inside of them. But like all of us, you know, no matter what your field, as you get involved in the field, you learn things you didn't know. You don't know what you don't know when you're making those decisions. So get out there and just experience as many things as you can and try as many things as you can. And the only thing I, I really would ask is, you know, too often I talk to doctors who decide they don't want to practice medicine. They want to be entrepreneurs, practice medicine, because that's where we really need you. And the best entrepreneurs have not been the ones who skipped, you know, practicing. Those are the worst MD entrepreneurs I've ever dealt with. The ones that have come straight out of med school or ready to go, they don't want to practice. They have no hands-on experience, nothing. Or the ones that have did it for a year or two are always the worst entrepreneurs. The ones that have spent the time dealing with patients are able to identify improvement in process or needs or you know, understand the industry better and make far better entrepreneurs if that's your ultimate goal. That's really good advice. It's consistent with a lot of advice I've even received. If you want to improve patient care, actually practicing and improving patient care is you have important. to it's like anything else like it's hard for me to train entrepreneurs without having been an entrepreneur and you know you don't know i couldn't tell you the fear of dealing with this patient could die that's that's foreign to me i can't imagine anybody being able to recognize that without having gone through it and you know just like being an entrepreneur down to your last penny or being negative and not not knowing how you're going to eat or how you're going to pay your bills or if your company will survive. That pain is the greatest knowledge you will ever have as you build a company. I love that. Any last words that you want people to know? Yeah. You know, all of you that dispense prescriptions, please have your patients check costplusdrugs.com. Have them sign up. If we don't offer their drug, have them just, you know, put in which drug they'd like to see us carry and we'll work on it. Um, I promise you, promise you, promise you, we will save your patients money. I love it, Mark. Thanks so much. Thanks, Shiv. I appreciate it. Thanks for the, the, the conversation. It was fun. Likewise. And with that, I'm Shivilani. Thanks to our audience for taking up today's show. And remember to do your part to raise line and flatten the curve. We're all in this together. Take care. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. <laughs>